Do you want to know a secret? We're working on a special project that's going to be revealed in the next few weeks. If you'd like to get an inside look and see some exclusive content, go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to our Patreon campaign. If you donate to our campaign, you will be able to access some exclusive content, some behind the scenes, planning documents, some photos, maybe some exclusive audio about this big event that we will be revealing in June. Again, go to itsalljournalism.com, follow the link at the top of the page, and donate to our Patreon campaign. There was a BBC project that turned your phone into a refugee's phone. And it was basically through a YouTube video where you launched the video and you would have this experience of like your battery is dying and you you can't load a map because you don't have data, you know, and all of those things. And so I really think it's anything that puts you in someone else's shoes in a way that just reading a story or watching a video is sort of a one-to-one experience. And it's a little bit different than that. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media. This week, you're going to be listening to a conversation I had with Laura Hertzfeld of Journalism 360. If you're a fan of immersive storytelling, then you're really going to enjoy this episode. A couple of show notes first, though. Laura wanted me to mention that Journalism 360 was going to be hosting an unconference July 24th through 25th in New York City. This will be a chance to meet some of the people who are on the cutting edge of immersive storytelling. You can also learn more about the 2018 Journalism 360 Challenge. You can find out more about the challenge and the unconference at the Online News Association website, journalists.org. And I also wanted to give Laura a shout out and a congratulations. Shortly after we did this interview, she learned that she had been selected to be one of the class of 2019 Neiman Fellows which is a big honor. So we at the podcast wish her well with that. Now let's listen to our conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Laura. I appreciate you uh, taking some time out to talk. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay. So now we met at ONA back in October and, and neither of us can quite remember the context of it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? How did you end up there? You know, kind of what your journalist journey is, you know, what got you into journalism? Sure. So I've pretty much been a journalist as long as I can remember. I think I was like on my camp newspaper when I was about eight, and that was uh, <laughs> that was the beginning. I could not could not take the bug away after that. On the canoeing beat or the the arts and crafts <laughs> beat, something like that. Actually, yeah. So that, yeah, I've always you know knew that I would end up in in media in some form or another. I was on my college paper and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, as I graduated college at a really, you know, sort of challenging time, it's always a challenging time, I think, um, to find a job after college. But, you know, for me, it was really sort of like the beginning of the web and internet and news online. And I really lucked out. I started out covering energy. I was like at an energy trade publication in DC covering the Enron hearings on the Hill and all this kind of stuff. It was pretty exciting, but I knew that if I stayed in the energy space, I'd be covering energy forever. And while it was really exciting at the time, I did not want to stay with that. And so, you know, it was, this was right after 9-11 and I was a little bit done with the East Coast and decided, hey, like maybe I'll move out to California and just sort of see what 
what's up out here. I really was just, you know, ready for a change. And I went out to San Francisco. I had a friend living there, thought I would be there for six months, didn't know what I was doing. Maybe, maybe I'd freelance, maybe I'd do some creative writing, live my little hippie San Francisco lifestyle for a while. And within about three months of being in San Francisco, I ended up at Yahoo News. <laughs> so I was one of the... Wow. Yeah. So I was at Yahoo for a little under five years. Um, I was the first person they really hired on the news team who had actual journalism experience. And at you know 23, it was not a lot of journalism experience, but... It was something, and the editorial director there at the time, Bill Gannon, you know, had a really great journalism background, was a Pulitzer Prize nominee and all of this stuff, and he was really trying to build a team of people there who thought of themselves as journalists. We were, and we were, I mean, we were curating the news and deciding the headlines that went up on the Yahoo homepage, which in 2003 was, you know, what everybody was reading. That was where everybody was getting the news. Um, you know, it's kind of different these days obviously things have changed but but you know we we would get fan mail from people who were like oh those eight headlines on the homepage that's you know what i read every day and i can you know i know that there's people behind it and all this kind of stuff so it was really fun um i was on a team called full coverage and we basically aggregated news content around specific subjects um and that included sort of the early days of audio slideshows and video and as well as news stories and kind of aggregating local news sources. So it was really like creative aggregation, which was in my mind a little bit ahead of its time. Honestly, uh, you know, we're kind of coming back to that a little bit in various ways. But, uh, you know, I was there for a long time and I really started to see myself as kind of a, a curator of news and also somebody who was starting to really understand the digital space. And while I've done a really a bunch of different jobs uh, over the past 15 years that don't always seem to have a lot to do with each other. I think the through line is really that, you know, understanding digital and bringing it sort of to both people and newsrooms and kind of being somebody who's an ambassador for, you know, new ways of thinking about news and, and how we experience it. It's funny, you're, you're talking about way back in 2004 or so, and, you know, the, the, the good old days of uh, aggregation and sound slides and, and things like that. It really wasn't that far <laughs> ago, but it seems so far away in many ways, uh, because the way we, we distribute news, the way, the way we're sort of reporting news, it has changed some, but you mentioned it, you know, we're still trying to find creative ways to, to share content like aggregation, et cetera. So tell me about your role at, at 360. What is it you do there and, and uh, what do you got coming up? Yeah. So, you know, for me, Journalism 360 is sort of a, an interesting, like, it's like a nice culmination for me of all the things that, that I've done and putting them together. Because I, I went from kind of news editing to back to reporting, back to editing. I was at Entertainment Weekly for a while and also then moving into video and, you know, kind of sparking that interest in what's happening in the video space. And virtual reality and augmented reality are sort of, they're the next thing for journalism as far as new technology is concerned. And Journalism 360 started about, let's see, I think it was about a year and a half ago that Knight Foundation and Google News Lab came together and they they had this idea to you know, create some funding opportunities for journalists working in the immersive space. They hooked up with ONA, which is where Journalism 360 is housed and who I work with. And they figured out a way to create a grant opportunity as well as a 
uh, network of technologists and journalists to sort of like just build this community of people working in immersive. And that's really the goal of Journals in 360 is how can we yeah, build a community of people both working in immersive now and also people who are just interested in it. How can we bring training and events and, you know, kind of evangelize this new space in the journalism community? So I came on in March of 2017. We launched the first round of grants, the Journalism 360 Challenge at South by Southwest in 2017. And we had 11 projects that we funded through the grant challenge. And those are really very soon coming to fruition. It's been really great to work very closely with these super, super creative teams all over the world. Um, And I can talk a little bit about the specific projects that are coming out from that. When you talk about immersive, I mean, what what, what does it mean immersive in a journalism sense or storytelling sense? So, I mean, we define at Journalism 360, we define immersive very broadly. To me, you know, it can be a project that is a full virtual reality. You have a headset on, you're walking around a space somewhere, you're you know, exploring whether it's like the border or a refugee camp, you know, you're fully immersed in, in an experience. It could also be an AR application. Um, for example, like the New York Times did stuff they did in AR for the David Bowie exhibit at BAM, where you load the story on your phone and you, as you're walking around and moving your phone, an image of these David Bowie costumes will pop up in front of you and you can walk around them in the space. You know, I've, I've read a couple good quotes about the difference between VR and AR. I think for me, Eventually, it's all going to come together, this sort of MR, XR. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but immersive is something that takes you, it either brings the web to you or it puts you in another place entirely. And I think that for journalists, there's a real opportunity there in storytelling to go to the next level, to bring you to a place that you couldn't go, whether that's like the USA Today project that we worked with called The Wall, which just won a Pulitzer Prize, where you're, they're bringing people to the border wall, the border between Mexico and the U.S., and the proposed wall. They've kind of taken you on this journey of mapping every mile of the border, uh, and you're able to sort of walk through and understand what it's like to be there. And I think those are things that we really couldn't do in the same way before. But there's also projects that I consider immersive that are much lower tech. There was a BBC project that turned your phone into a refugee's phone. And it was basically through a YouTube video where you launched the video and you would have this experience of like your battery is dying and you you can't load a map because you don't have data, you know, and all of those things. And so I really think it's anything that puts you in someone else's shoes in a way that just reading a story or watching a video is sort of a one-to-one experience. And it's a little bit different than that. I've had a couple of opportunities to sort of get in the VR space and the immersive space. Uh, I was at, I think it was 2014. I was at um, the online news association conference in Chicago and USA Today had a, had a thing where, it was, uh, you know, 360 degrees. You're, it was farms in, I think, Iowa that you entered this farm, you, you landed in a helicopter, you got out of the helicopter and you walked around. And it wasn't just that you got to see like all of the space and everything, but there were informatics that came in that you're able to sort of inf- you know, interact with that would provide you with information. And, you know, and that was kind of, you know, 2014, that was kind of the early days of it. And I know it's come a lot further 
you know, what, what is it that you like about this type of storytelling? There's so many things I like about it. You know, I think it's such a new space that obviously there's going to be things that work and things that don't work. But I like that experimentation. I like seeing what people are trying, what is working for them, what isn't, both in narrative work and in journalism. I think it's just such a new a new way of thinking about things. It's also nonlinear so a lot of times, so it feels very like choose your own adventure and that you know, it really puts the experience in the hands of the person watching it and experiencing it. And so I think for journalists, that presents a really unique challenge. And I think sometimes that can be very scary of, you know, how do we, why are we letting readers, you know, or viewers experience this story how they want to versus, you know, us you know, leading the narrative. But I also think it creates a real opportunity to kind of trust readers a little bit and trust viewers and also, come up with new ways of, of telling stories. And, you know, there's some really fun stuff happening in this space. It also takes you to places that you wouldn't be able to go. I mean, I've now seen the glaciers melting in Greenland and been to a lot of refugee camps. And, you know, I'm not to say that that's the same as actually going there, but you do get a sense of place that it's almost impossible to get in other ways. Yeah, yeah, the sense of place. That was the thing that I took away the the couple of times that I I've done it to to be at it's a weird experience because on the one hand like you can conceptualize and think, yeah, I guess I understand that, you know, that I'm going to get here and I'm going to be seeing, you know, I'm going to be seeing this data, you know, in 360. But when you're standing in the middle of it, you suddenly realize, "Oh, okay, I'm actually sort of experiencing what the person who is going through, you know, the person who's in that refugee camp, for example, you know, I'm not having the same life that person is. I have a, maybe a closer understanding of just the things around them, you know, the interaction of them. The movement through the space is, is I think, the thing that, that's really kind of surprising. It's, it's like one thing to, you know, certainly there's been plenty of photojournalism, video journalism, where, where you'll see a story and, and that'll, that'll affect you emotionally. But be, being actually, you know, maybe tricking your mind or, or convincing your mind that, hey, that's this thing is that is so moving is just three feet away from me and I can move around it and, and experience it from different ways. It's really powerful. But the trick of it is, though, is, you know, how to how to tell stories that, you know, like any form of storytelling, you have to find the right story. You, know, you don't just do it because this is a cool tool to play with. You do it because you want to take advantage of the way something looks or or the experience that it's going to give. Now, you mentioned that you had sort of this first round of uh, grants co coming to fruition soon. Can you sort of talk about some of those and, sure. and what people can experience? Sure. So I, me I mentioned The Wall already, which is the USA Today Arizona Republic project about the proposed border wall. And that project is, I think, really unique because while the VR piece is one piece of it, I think what made it so successful, and I mean, it won the explanatory reporting Pulitzer, which I think is just mind-blowing, but, you know, what's so interesting about it is that it is really a comprehensive experience. You know, the VR aspect is one thing, but there's also a podcast that went with it. There's, you know, traditional reporting. There's uh, short-form documentaries that they created. So you go on to the site that they made, the hub site for The Wall, and you're really getting all different types of content related to this one subject. And I think that's sort of one thing to really keep in mind with 
you know, with immersive storytelling is that, you know, it can be one piece of a larger story. It can just give another layer to a story that uh, an organization is already working on. And I think that The Wall is a really great example of that. You know, not everybody is going to be able to do the experience in the fancy headset at this point in time. But, you know, being able to get a piece of that and then understand it through these other mediums that we have, I think is is one way of uh, sort of like expanding distribution of this kind of content. So that's one of them. There's, let's see, the Washington Post has a project that they're working on called Facing Bias. Um, that's more of an AR experience. And it, the goal of it is to understand your bias when you're reading a news story through facial recognition. They worked on a couple different iterations of it, and I'll be able to talk more about it soon. And hopefully they'll have a prototype that I can share very soon. But they worked with Mechanical Turk and they worked with some researchers at UC Irvine and a couple other places to sort of determine whether or not that's something that's even possible. Can you know, can you look at a photo or read a news story and can the expressions on your face kind of be shared? So they've really made a lot of progress there and I think it's really going to be fun to sort of see people sharing, you know, almost like a selfie as you're reading a news story or as you're looking at a photo, what is your you know, gut reaction to something? And can that inform um, readers of the Washington Post and, and then eventually other, other places about what their, you know, is their implicit bias and how can we, you know, accept that we might have this, but how can that, you know, affect how you look at a story and, and how we report stories as well? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. If you think about it, how, you know how do you, how do you tell that story? How do you involve and engage somebody in a story like that? I mean, you know, anything that can do that, I think, is potentially really powerful. Now, you know, I, there are probably some journalists out there who are listening to this who want to go, "Oh man, I want I want to get into involved into this type of thing." What type of storytellers? I say storytellers because they could be somebody who's doing video. He's going to be somebody who's a cartoonist or an artist or a, a videographer, even a writer. You know. How can somebody get involved in this type of uh, storytelling, do you think? Well, I think, you know, there's a number of things. I think one is obviously just experiment. I mean, the tools that are available to make 360 video, even to do photogrammetry and VR right now, are coming down and becoming much, much more accessible even than they were, say, a year ago. So I think just being interested in the technology and experimenting, and obviously we have a lot of resources on, from Journals and 360. We have a Facebook group. We have an email list and newsletter. You know, we have a lot of ways to get folks involved, and I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested. But beyond that, I think to your other question of sort of like who can tell these types of stories, I mean, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen is that I actually think that audio reporters and people who've done podcasts or worked for, you know, NPR stations, audio is such a big piece of 360 that, you know, if you kind of understand how sound gets put together and how sound can tell a story, I think you're set up really, really well to create 360 video and even VR experiences as well. Traditional video folks are also really interested in this. Obviously, they have a great sense of, you know, the visual on this. But at the same time, it's not linear storytelling. So a lot of times I'll meet filmmakers who are struggling with it because it's not this happens and this happens and then this happens, you know, and you sort of have to approach it from a different space sometimes. 
I remember when, when people were sort of initially talking about VR, kind of the, the hook for a lot of people was, you know, imagine some of the more immersive games that are out there, the way you sort of move with a game and tell a story that, you know, has an objective, you, you need to get to a certain point, but there's just so much variation for where you can go. And so somebody who has that kind of interest or and, and likes to have stories that are told that way. That's that's one of the nice and exciting things about this type of technology is that, you know, there, there are so many people who've grown up with immersive video games and are, are really cued in on having stories told that way and consuming stories that way that, you know, that's just an audience that's waiting for news and, and you know, features and type of the type of journalism we, we've been talking about. Now, Okay, so the first first round of uh, grants are coming out, but you said you've got some uh, some stuff coming up. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we'll be launching the second round of the Journalism 360 Challenge at the end of May. So we will have funding available once again for projects. The Journalism 360 Challenge is focused on technology projects that can help journalists tell better stories in the immersive space. So it's not really finishing funds for specific documentary projects as much as it is sort of maybe using a story to you know, showcase a technology and think of different ways that journalists can tell stories using the immersive space. So some of the examples from last year, we've talked about other things that are coming out of last year's grants that you know, might be good examples to think about are you know, new ways of using data and data visualization in VR and immersive. First of all, when are the dates? When can people start applying? Yeah. So the Journalism 360 Challenge for 2018 is going to open on May 30th. We're going to be at the Global Editors Network Conference, um, which is in Lisbon this year. So if anybody is coming to that, come find me. We're hosting a happy hour there. And we'll be doing, you know, through ONA Local and other events going on in June, We'll be doing some promotion of the of the challenge, and we'll also be hosting a bunch of online Q&As and Hangout sessions. So if anybody has questions, we will definitely be available to answer them. We being me and also folks from our really amazing ambassador team, which includes editors at the New York Times and The Guardian and... Robert Hernandez at USC Annenberg and a bunch of folks who are just really, really experienced in this space and are always, you know, open and interested in talking to people who are uh, excited about immersive. So what are the types of things, what are the types of storytelling do you think might be the most successful pitches? What is it you, you think you're going to be looking for? Yeah. I mean, we're always looking to sort of solve challenges and solve problems that creators are hitting up against. And, you know, that can be a lot of different things. I think when we got the applications last year, I sort of had thoughts before applications came in about what those problems would be. And the applications we got, you know, had a huge range of, of things that people were really wanting to address. You know, I think that can range anything from, you know, one of the things that I I'm curious about is distribution of this kind of content. How can it, you know, be expanded to a much wider audience? I think that's something that we're hitting up against all the time. I think also archiving content in new technology. How does that play into this? Where do, where do things live? We had a few projects last year that hit on incorporating, you know, content 
uh, and historical content and how do you bring that into a new technology. So, you know, these are, are problems that, you know, haven't been solved yet. A lot of people are experimenting with. There's also been a lot of work and research in the past year around data visualization in immersive and how do we sort of iterate on that. So, you know, these are all things that I think really pertain to to journalism. You know, I think there's a lot going on in the gaming space, and the entertainment space, but there are really different elements of this that we need journalists to be working on and thinking about. And we've seen a lot of growth in the last year. So I think the applications that come in for 2018, I'm really excited to see how they differ from last year, but also what haven't we solved and, and what do we need to still be working on? So is it, you had something else that you wanted to announce? Yeah, so we are going to be hosting in July in New York the first inaugural, I guess that's the same thing, the inaugural Journalism 360 Unconference. It's going to be July 24th and 25th in New York City. We will have more information about it available very, very soon, if not already, because uh, we're recording this before <laughs> I'm posting it. But um, anyway, we will be hosting it July 24th and 25th in New York, and it's going to be an opportunity twofold opportunity. One is to see demonstrations of the J360 Challenge winners from 2017. So you'll get to experience all of the immersive projects that are coming out of last year's grantees. And then also an opportunity to participate in panels and also pitch panels, give a lightning talk if this is a space that you're working in, and join our ambassadors and our challenge winners for some really great conversations. So just a, a day and a half conference in New York in July. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see what this new round of uh, immersive journalism that's going to be coming out of this program. Laura, this has been fascinating. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Again, where can people find information about uh, the grants and Journalism 360? Yes. So we are part of the Online News Association. So you can find us at journalist.org slash journalism360. You'll have all the information there about the grant challenge, as well as events coming up. We also have a Facebook group, Journalism 360. You can find it on Facebook groups. And uh, you can always just reach out to me as well, j360 at journalists.org. Okay. Well, thanks uh, for coming on. Thank you so much. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. Would you like to find out more about our podcast? Why not sign up for our email newsletter that comes out every week? Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to sign up. And while you're there, why not check out our Patreon campaign? There's a link there at the top of the page. We are looking for people to help support us and keep this podcast going, and we'd appreciate your attention. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism, and here they are. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Nicholas Hunter provided web support and research. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The 
What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Finish the Game podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean across the 10 to 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. 